This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. Welcome to Beyond the Arc. My name is Kevin O'Connor. Today, we're going to be going through some of the big moves in NBA free agency so far. Let's start off with Jovan Buer from The Athletic. How are you doing, Jovan? I'm doing well, man. How are you doing? Uh, let's uh, let's get going into the big news of the weekend. On Saturday, we find out that Damian Lillard has officially requested a trade from the Portland Trailblazers. The Miami Heat are the number one team on his list. He's liking tweets about wanting to go to the Miami and win like LeBron and then go back to Portland. So he's already got his future planned out. But all reports so far, Yovan, from Adrian Wojnarowski, Sham Sharania, uh, basically everybody, Sam Amick, your co-worker at The Athletic, a lot of people are saying that other teams are going to be in on Dame. The Clippers, the Jazz, the Sixers, a number of different franchises could be going after him, the Celtics as well. The number one question on my mind right now is Miami might be Dame's fa- favorite destination, but do they actually have enough to go out and get him? I don't think so in a straight-up two-team deal. I think, as has been reported, uh, if they make a deal with Miami, it probably has to be a three-team deal, considering if I'm Portland, I don't know if I want Tyler Hero. Uh, he, he might end up being the, the best backcourt option uh, among you know the, the three guys that they got uh, in, in, you know, in comparison to him. But uh, if I'm looking at it, I already have Scoot. I have Shaden Sharp. And I have Anthony Simons. Maybe I end up flipping him, uh, but I'm not looking for another undersized backcourt player. Uh, I'm looking for a, a big wing. I'm looking for a big man, uh, preferably both. Uh, obviously, draft picks uh, to, to kind of restock their their cupboard there. So, I think if I'm Portland, I'm surveying the market. I'm, I'm looking at what my options are. I, I think you know Brooklyn obviously has the picks, has some young talent that they could throw in uh, that might be enticing. Uh, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, that the Clippers could get into the mix. Utah, uh, I mean, what, what do you think about the the rumored three-team deal with uh, Portland, the Clippers, and Philly, where you send James Harden to the Clippers, Dame goes to Philly, and then Portland just gets basically everything they want from those two teams, which isn't much. Uh, yeah, I but, mean, uh, yeah. it, it seems to make some mutual sense, though, right? Yeah. You know, like that. that's the type of deal where, you know, the draft picks would be, you know, haggled upon. It's not like the Clippers and Sixers have a lot of future picks. Philly can trade one. The Clippers can trade two. So on one one on one hand, I kind of think, well, if you're the Clippers, why not just go straight for Damian Lillard? 
Um, but on the other hand, you probably don't get Damian Lode with just those two first round draft picks. Otherwise, my, the Miami Heat can do better. So I, I think that that's going to be the fascinating thing here is what do the Blazers value? I think you're on point that they don't value Tyler Hero a lot considering what they already have. So can the Heat flip Hero elsewhere and get another pick or two in addition to the, the Heat for what it's worth can give a 28 and a 31st? They have Jame Jaquez, who they just drafted in the top 20 this year. Nikola Jovic, who they drafted last year in the first round. And then a Kyle Lowry expiring, if necessary, to be part of the deal. So they don't have a ton of picks to offer. And those future Heat first people I talked to around the league, you know, you're betting on the Heat to at least be solid. If you're betting against teams, you're betting against the Clippers with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George being up for contract, as injury-prone as they are, that at that point, the Clippers could be not so good. You might be betting against the Phoenix Suns. The Nets own their future picks. The Nets own a future Mavericks first-round draft pick. The Mavericks are a team tons of people around the league are betting against because of Luka and his uncertain future. So Brooklyn, if they wanted to get in for Dame, to me, I think they're kind of in the driver's seat with their combination of their own picks, Dallas picks, Phoenix picks, and young players on their roster. But I'm not so sure that Brooklyn's interest in Dame is as high as some of these other teams that have been mentioned. Like you said, the Clippers obviously want a guard. Uh, the Utah Jazz, they're an intriguing team to me in this whole conversation considering that they have a ton of of future first-round draft picks from multiple teams, including many of their own. So Danny Ainge has always liked taking big swings. They have a really good roster right now. Walker Kessler, Lowry Markinen. they had a good draft with Keontae George, Taylor Hendricks, Bryce Sensabaugh. They just brought back Jordan Clarkson. They have enough assets to make two moves. So I think with the Jazz... I think Danny Ainge, you know, he's always like to stick it to Pat Riley in the Miami Heat for years when he was with the Celtics. I wonder how much, you know, Danny Ainge could get in on Dame here. And with Dame, you know, Utah's not on his list, but Utah is home in a way. He went to Weber State. He goes back to Utah every single year for a basketball camp at his alma mater. Uh, I wonder if the Jazz could be a, a kind of a sleeper team in this whole conversation when we're looking at all these teams that have been in the playoffs when in actuality it could be a surprise team that goes out and has more than enough assets to go get them. Yeah, and and I mean, I think the interesting thing here too is, you know, Dame can tell Portland where he wants to go or give them a list, but he's still got four more years left. So there's only so much he can do unless he's, going to sit out or or you know really make this ugly uh he doesn't ultimately have you know the the final say in in where portland sends him so um i think at first glance he might scoff at the notion of going to utah and and say you know is that really a better situation for me you know like i think that they have more talent overall than uh portland i would say in in terms of just you know young pieces and uh, I really like what Laurie Markkinen did last year. Walker Kessler obviously had a special defensive season for a rookie. Uh, so, I mean, as you said, Utah can make a second move, and, and maybe that puts them in place to be uh, a potential, you know, threat in the West. But I, I don't know. I don't really have a, a great answer other than Miami because I, I think he goes to Miami. Uh, you know, that is a you know bona fide finals threat. Uh, I mean, they made the finals without him. Uh, maybe they're the favorites in the East. I, I put them right there with Boston. Uh, I'd really like to see a, a Bam Dame pick and roll. I think that would unlock some things uh, in, in Bam's game. Uh, having two of the best crunch time guys in the league, and Dame and Jimmy, 
Uh, I, th- I think it, you know, it would be a great fit. But again, if Port like that to me is Portland more so doing Dame a favor of saying we're, you know, you're our guy, you're the best Blazer ever. We're going to do you a favor and send you to your preferred destination. Uh, and I wonder if some of this is just posturing too, where we, we see this sometimes. Uh, and we even saw this w- with this whole situation with our meeting and uh, it coming out that they're on the same page and, and this and that. Obviously, they weren't. Uh, but I wonder if this is Portland trying to take back some of the leverage of it's clear where Dame wants to go. And that doesn't necessarily draw in the, the best trade offers. But if you say we're open to trading him anywhere, you can elicit more from uh, a Miami or from a Brooklyn and, and you know, end up getting, uh, I think, a, a better return. It's very possible that that's all this is, is just Portland plans on sending him to Miami. They're just trying to get every little piece that they can out of the heat. And, you know, all this stuff of all, all these other teams, you know, you got Mark Spears saying Jason Tatum, you know, Dame's friend is trying to recruit him to Boston. All this stuff about the Jazz, Clippers, Sixers, it might just all be about the Blazers saying, we know where we're sending him. It, let's just get as much as we can. However, though, I do wonder if there's a point where Portland does say, as Woj has said multiple times, they're not going to factor in Dame's list. They're going to look for the best offer. Because I tend to think from the Portland side of things, if you get a better offer than what the Heat can give, you need to take it. It, You need to build for the future around Scoot and Henderson, Shade and Sharp. These young guys you have, they're going to be part of the future of your franchise. You can't take less just because of what Dame's done. You can't let emotion factor into the equation here. And not only that, you know, sometimes, you know, in life and in sports, the things you want the most aren't always what are best for you. And even though the Heat on paper are obviously a much better team with Damian Lord, he solves a lot of their issues, you're on point with saying that a Dame-Bam pick and roll, I would love to see what you know layers of, of Bam's game become unlocked with Damian Lord. And Jimmy Butler, you know, being able to defer to Dame in ways like he did to Bam at times or to some of the role players at times, the Heat would be awesome to watch. However... Dame himself said on the Showtime podcast when he first mentioned the Heat and the Nets as the teams that he would have interest in going to, he himself said on that podcast, well, you know, we can say they'll trade me to a team that everybody's going to say they're going to be a contender, but what does that contender have to give up to get me? And I think with the Miami Heat is very clear, no matter what they have to give up, two first-round first picks, a Jame Jaquez, whatever else it might be, they're not going to have another move that they can make. Whereas if it's a team like the Utah Jazz or whether it's like the San Antonio Spurs who Ramona Shelburne keeps saying that Dame is fascinated by the Spurs, he's got a relationship with Popovich, he loves loves Wembenyama, that there's interest from Dame's side in the Spurs. Teams like that, the younger teams, the Spurs, the Jazz, they can make one or two moves and still have a great young core that he can be part of and compete at a high level. I, I just... Part of me wonders, you know, maybe I'm playing a little devil's advocate here, but I, I just don't know if the Miami Heat are actually going to be better than the Celtics or the Bucks next year in the Eastern Conference, even with Damian Lillard, and they can't do anything else. Yeah, that, that that's fair. Um, you know, I, I think it's uh, again, it's kind of conflicting things where uh, I think the the best trade package for Portland most likely isn't Miami, uh, but I think that the situation Dame would probably have the most confidence in is Miami where, you know, we, we can mm. you know, theor- theorize about what Brooklyn could do, what Utah could do, what San Antonio could do in terms of a second move to, to get guys in. But I think if he's looking at 
arriving at a team with Laurie Markkinen or a team with Mikael Bridges versus a team that already has Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, uh, Pat Riley, Eric Spolstra. Like, I think he's going to have a lot more confidence in that situation. So, uh, you know, this was a game of chicken as to who was going to ask out first with, with, with Dame or, or <laughs> Portland flipping him. Now it's another game of chicken of, of who's going to ultimately get their way. And I, I'm, I'm interested to see if, if Portland uh, has the guts to, to really drag this out because – We've seen most of the time, this is how it kind of starts. And then the team ultimately caves to what the player wants. Uh, they have the shared history of you know 11 plus years there. Uh, we'll see ultimately if, if Joe Cronin can um, you know find the, the right deal that, that kind of satisfies both sides. I hope he goes to the Spurs, Jovan. I just want to see. I, I want to see the Spurs go awesome. pedal. Yeah, it would be so cool to see them kind of just accelerate things around. Victor Wembanyama. Wemby said he wants to win a championship ASAP. Go for it, man. Uh, when yeah. we're back, we'll talk about the Lakers and the Suns and the big moves that they've made this offseason. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Welcome back to Beyond the Arc here with Jovan Bua talking about the Los Angeles Lakers, who completely refurbished their bench this offseason, signed Gabe Vincent from the Miami Heat, uh, Taurine Prince, Jackson Hayes, brought back Rui Hachimura, Austin Reeves. Lakers upgraded this offseason, Jovan. I'm, I'm impressed with what they did. I really like what they did, and I think they they stuck to the plan, which has been rare for them. Uh, you know, They basically laid out exactly what they wanted to do. We want to keep our young core together. Uh, run it back with our top five scorers from the playoffs uh, in LeBron, AD, Rui, Austin, and, and D'Lo, and, and then make some fringe upgrades. And I think Gabe Vincent is an upgrade over Dennis Schroeder in terms of just his fit, uh, particularly offensively, uh, just his shooting, uh, his you know crunch time scoring, his playmaking, uh, just overall, I, I think a better fit with what the Lakers need uh, from that you know third guard spot. And, and then, uh, Torian Prince to me is is an ideal fit off the bench as a three and D wing kind of combo forward who can uh, I think really complement AD and LeBron well. Uh, and then they took a couple flyers on Jackson Hayes and Cam Reddish, uh, two guys who uh, I think at this point in their careers haven't established that they are rotation guys on a playoff roster, let alone a contender. But we've seen the Lakers take these types of swings in recent years with Malik Monk. Lonnie Walker, even a guy like Stanley Johnson to an extent. They love their former lottery picks 
that teams have given up on. So, uh, you know, th- those two moves, I-, I wasn't as high on as maybe the, the rest of what they did. But uh, I think, again, their track record speaks for itself, where they've been able to unlock some of these, uh, you know, lottery guys that, that again, teams have given up on. So um, I- I'm a fan overall. I think they, they got to round out the roster with uh, one more big at least. Uh, and from what I've been told, that that's the plan. And if they get the right backup guy, I, I think, you know, this is about as good uh, as a off season that a contender has had so far. I absolutely agree with you. I mean, I, I love what they did. And I think you hit the nail on the head there with bringing back these, you know, former lottery players and trying to get more out of their games and other teams have been able to Rui Hachimura. We saw them ha- him play the best basketball of his entire career, you know, with the Lakers at, at times during the regular season, but particularly during the postseason. And with D'Angelo Russell up and down, you know, the ending was not so good for him in the postseason. But with D'Lo, I, I still got a level of belief in D'Lo, especially at his new cap number. Um, you know, I think $17 million annually at this point, short-term deal. Like at that number, D'Angelo Russell, I wonder if you bring him in for training camp, you get him going maybe in a six-man role if he's willing to accept that. I just think there's more to D'Lo's game that could be unlocked when he kind of develops chemistry with some of these guys on the Lakers and LeBron comes back totally healthy. Gabe Vincent, as you said, a great, great fit for them uh, in their rotation. And I think at this point, you know, the one guy, you know, you mentioned him, Toreen Prince. He's not the biggest name, but Toreen Prince has exactly the type of qualities the Lakers need from that type of kind of big beefy, versatile forward player. He's a good spot-up shooter. He knows how to cut, and defensively, he's versatile. He's tough. He's hard-nosed. The Lakers, to me, kind of nailed what they did this offseason given some of the limitations with the flexibility that they had. The question is, though, you know, they get punked by the Nuggets in the Western Conference Finals. Have they actually done enough to close the gap, though? I don't think so. Um, Now, I think – Denver losing Bruce Brown helps uh, and that's a big blow to them. And uh, that, that probably just, you know, naturally closes the gap a little bit. Uh, I think offensively, the Lakers have more firepower now with Vincent, with Prince, uh, even with a guy like Jackson Hayes, who we, we know LeBron loves those athletic, uh, you know, second units where he can get out and run and uh, you know, loves having a pick and roll big man uh, with, with those groups. So I'm just imagining, all the alley-oops that uh, Jackson Hayes is going to be getting and, and just the rim running and, and the runouts that he'll get with that second unit group. So I think, on, you know, on paper, they're, they're better offensively, in my opinion. They didn't really lose much, if at all, defensively. So, uh, again, I think it's a better roster. But I think there was a, a sizable gap there between the, the Lakers and the Nuggets. And, and really the one thing I'm looking at is they didn't do anything to uh, shore up their interior defense. And uh, I think... Again, the shooting is better. Uh, they got some more versatility, but in terms of uh, you know having another big that could at least hold their own against Jokic, uh, you, you remember in that 2020 series, Dwight Howard played a pivotal role. They often played Dwight next to AD, having him uh, guard Jokic, and, and then having AD as that secondary rim protector. Uh, and they did some of that with, with Rui. But I, again, I, I want to see what they do with this next backup big spot, and if they could get the right guy defensively. Um, you know, I've heard they still have interest in Mo Bamba, Tristan Thompson. Uh, I don't know how much that really moves the needle. I, I look at a guy like 
Bismack Biombo, depending on what his market ultimately is. And like, uh, you know, still a really good rim protector, not someone you need to play every night, but, but could be the, you know, I think a, a valuable defensive piece in the right role. And uh, just someone like that, that can at least, you know, protect the rim and, and you know, help man a, a second unit defensively. Uh, I think that's really all they need. And if they get that guy again, uh, you know, maybe, uh, maybe the gap is closed more than, than I'm, I'm letting on. But uh, to me, I, I still think how they defend Jokic, how they defend the Jokic Murray pick and roll. I don't know if they have an answer for that. I don't know if the league has an answer for that yet. Uh, and that to me was ultimately the deciding factor in that series. So I think they're better, and, and I think the gap has closed a bit, uh, but I don't think they're on par with Denver yet. Uh, I, I'm with you ex- exactly. I mean, adding one more big, you know, it helps inch closer to Denver. It's not going to close the gap exactly. What does is LeBron James being totally healthy like he was back in January and AD having the health that he had at his peak points, and that's that's a lot to ask, you know, of uh, with a guy with 80s durability issues at LeBron's age, but that's what closes the gap. If you get January LeBron – when he was explosive and he looked like he was averaging 30 plus points per game with ease in that late December, January stretch, that guy can close the gap. <laughs> like yeah. that guy is still one of the best players in all of basketball. And at that point, come postseason time, whether it's Bamba, Biombo, a Mason Plumley, somebody like that, they're playing limited minutes off the bench. The Lakers at this point, you wrote on the athletic this week, how the early favorite to start, is D'Lo, but Gabe Vincent could earn that starting spot depending on how training camp goes. Austin Reeves, I would expect, you know, he possibly could be the two guards starting in that situation, but at the regardless of who's starting, he's playing heavy minutes. Are you surprised at all the Lakers didn't have to match a $100 million-plus offer sheet for Austin Reeves this offseason? I, I was surprised, and I think you got to give the Lakers credit. They scared off the rest of the market. You know, they, they sent out, uh, I reported it early in the off season and basically anyone with any ties to the Lakers was hearing the Lakers are going to match any contract, you know, that, that Austin Reeves signs this summer and to get him at it's 56 million, it's it was like, everywhere. Everybody, like it was unbelievable how, how much they were putting that signal out there. And it worked, right? Like, yeah. you know, you're getting about 56 million compared to, uh, I believe the highest it could go was about 102. That's almost half that. And uh, to, to get Austin Reeves at $14 million a year with, with what he showed uh, at the end of th- this past season and in the playoffs, like his numbers were, I feel like, it, it, you know, people, people love the, the memes and it's, uh, you know, another, uh, you know, white role player on the Lakers and, and uh, <laughs> you know, I, but honestly, like Austin Reeves is, you know, he's playing team USA. He, he was the Lakers third best player during that conference finals run. Uh, honestly, at times in the Denver series, was their only reliable source of offense and, and you know what was the only guy uh you know kind of making shots when, when they were struggling so i think overall he he showed that he's legit i think he he's a, a starter lock for me if, if i'm the lakers uh and for, from what i've been told they're gonna run more of their offense through him they view him as more of that lead ball handler type uh you know so i think it's going to be more of delo and gabe vincent off the ball and, and leveraging their catch and shoot ability with Austin running more of the show offensively, which again, you saw a little bit more uh, as the playoffs progress. So to me, that that's a, a steal of a contract for the Lakers. Uh, he does have the option to opt out after the third year. I, I suspect he will if you know things go uh, as planned in terms of his development. But uh, I, I thought that was you know one of the best signings of the offseason period, just to get you know a, a guy in his mid-20s who, who's shown a lot of growth, 
not even just year over year, but really month over month. You know, you, you've seen incredible growth from Austin from the beginning of his rookie season to the end of his sophomore year. So I think to get that guy on a $14 million a year uh, you know, annual value is great for the Lakers. And uh, again, I, I think he's someone that is officially a cornerstone of the franchise moving forward. I absolutely agree with Vossen Reeves and with him. I would hope if you're a Lakers fan listening or watching hear us on FanDuel TV, they got to get the Austin Reeves more touches, right? Even if LeBron is, manages to stay healthy, Austin Reeves at times during that postseason, look, he, he averages 16.9 points, 4.6 assists. He doesn't turn the ball over, only 1.6 turnovers per, per game. He scores with great efficiency at all three levels of the floor. I felt like at times during that postseason at 12.1 shots per game, I was screaming into this microphone all postseason long, why is Darvin Ham not getting Austin Reeves more shots? And I know it sounds crazy to a lot of people. Like you said, he's kind of a meme. He's that, you know, next white player on the Lakers after Alex Caruso. But he is so far and beyond better offensively than Alex Caruso ever was. They're not even comparable players. Nope. Austin Reeves, he might be 25 years old, but he was a late, blamer, late bloomer in high school, a late bloomer in college. And he has blossomed so early in the NBA. It's unexpected. That's why he's getting paid this money after, you know, just his second season in the league. Austin Reeves, to me, he has still more upside, and it's largely going to be related to his usage on the team. Do they feed him those pick-and-roll opportunities, those shot creation opportunities that at times I don't think he was getting as much in the postseason? That's the type of stuff that the Lakers are going to have to do to close the gap. The development of their younger guys, Austin Reeves, the progress of some of those bets, a D'Angelo Russell type, and then LeBron James and AD staying healthy. If that all happens, that's a lot of ifs, then at some point maybe if the Lakers and Nuggets rematch in the playoffs again next year, it could be a different result. When we're back, we'll talk about another team that also needs to close the gap, the Phoenix Suns. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Welcome back to Beyond the Arc. Still here with Jovan Boer from The Athletic. Let's talk about another team that had a big offseason here, Jovan. The Phoenix Suns. They also lost to the Nuggets. They lost in six games during the second round of the playoffs. I love the offseason they had. Uh, to me, you know, they trade for Bradley Beal. Everybody's saying, yeah, but they have no depth. Where's their bench? What are they going to do? They're going to just play three guys, four guys? Well, guess what? They kept Aiton. So far, they signed Drew Eubanks, met two, two backup bigs behind him. They signed Keita Bates-Diop from the Spurs, who, in my opinion, is one of the more underrated free agents, a good 3-and-D-style forward. Utah Wantanabe, who last season was one of the best shooters in basketball with Brooklyn. They brought back Josh Okogie and Damian Lee. In that Beal deal, they also got Jordan Goodwin, who is a very good defensive guard. Suddenly, you look at the Suns, and they're really deep. All of a sudden... Overnight, here we are with the Phoenix Suns. They have overhauled their roster. What do you think about what the Suns did? Well, and they just signed Eric Gordon, which I yes. think is, is a sneaky pickup on a vet Absolutely. minimum deal. Uh, I was texting with some people around the league, and 
we were talking about how uh, you, you just mentioned him. Keita Bates-Diop is, I think, one of the most underrated signings uh, of the summer. And, and for them to get him on that deal, uh, I think he's a potential closing option for them, d- depending on how things play out, just as that uh, you know, kind of big 6'7", 6'8", 3&D wing uh, that we, we know contenders kind of need. I mean, we'll, we'll see. Uh, I think they probably have a revolving door with, with that fifth spot. But Eric Gordon could also be that guy where, uh, again, we, we saw in Houston – uh, him be a part of, uh, you know, some contending teams with, with James Harden and Chris Paul. And uh, I thought he played, you know, fairly well for the Clippers, uh, you know, given he's already in his mid thirties. So I really like what they did. I think, as you said, they filled out the roster nicely, uh, you know, got some, some good defense on the perimeter, uh, got, uh, I think Drew Eubanks is another underrated signing where, where he's one of the, the better backup bigs uh, in the league right now, really good rim protector. So I think, Phoenix is in a great spot. And uh, again, I think th- depending on, you know, how things play out w- with the rotation, they have the versatility to go bigger, have Devin Booker or Bradley Beal be the primary uh, ball handler and, and playmaker or go smaller and, uh, you know, play small ball with Katie at the five. Like th- they have a lot of positional versatility with this group. And I think they did a really good job of filling in the fringes uh, with complementary guys that can shoot, defend, uh, protect the rim. And I think, you know, that, that's another team. We just talked about the Lakers and the Nuggets, but like, I think the Suns are, are right in that mix. Uh, I would still put Denver ahead of them, but I mean, arguably they, they gave Denver the, the, you know, the best run for their money during the playoffs. And that was without some of these complimentary pieces. Uh, you know, Torrey Craig's still out there. I know they have a f- full roster, so he, he's probably not coming back, but uh, I, I think just, you know, the Suns for me right now, it's probably Denver one Phoenix two a uh, LA two B. Uh, but I, you know, I think it could kind of go either way with the Lakers and the Suns right now. Uh, I, I think with Phoenix, you know, you mentioned how they went further against Denver. They, they gave them the the stiffest challenge in the, their postseason run to the finals. A lot of people, when they talk about, you know, how do you beat Denver, they're thinking about, well, how do you slow down Jokic, matching size with size. I don't, I don't think there is any stopping Jokic. I don't think you can stop that Murray Jokic two-man game there's no stopping it there's just no answer like we saw Miami throughout every defense possible we saw different defenses try different things throughout the postseason the way to beat the Nuggets is going to be doing something on the perimeter and with the Suns now with Devin Booker Kevin Durant Bradley Beal you mentioned signing Eric Gordon all the role players that they have it's you know it's a, it's the source of offense that you get from those shot creators Booker Beal Durant something the Warriors would hope to do if they're able to get back to that level with Stephen Curry Clay Thompson uh, or something the Kings would aspire to do around De'Aaron Fox and DeMontis Sabonis but the Suns more than anybody else have those perimeter weapons who can just run pick and roll and isolations over and over and over and over and if they have a super hot shooting series like Booker did at times against Denver where he's scoring 50 you know putting up big numbers if you can get that over a full seven game series, to me, that's the way you, you beat the Nuggets. And also what they did address Monty Williams, the first two games of that semifinal series, he's playing non non shooters in the corner. Denver was helping off of, off of those guys and pick and rolls, clogging the paint, limiting chances to get to the basket. And those guys who, you know, were just bricking everything from three, we're not making them pay. Now the Phoenix Suns, you look at their team with all their weapons for whether it's Wantanabe or Bates Diop, uh, or whether it's like Bradley Beal just standing in the corner if it's Devin Booker running the pick and roll. 
they have a plethora of reliable, more consistent three-point shooting threats that I think that Suns offense, in the same way that we talk about Denver, what answers do you actually have for Jokic and Murray? People are going to be asking the same exact questions of that Suns offense over the course of the season. The question is going to be for them come playoff time, what level can they actually defend at? You need to get DeAndre Ayton back at the level that he was when the Suns previously made the finals. Kevin Durant needs to continue defending at a high level like he did, especially earlier in the season for the the Nets next to Nick Claxton. And Beal has to be better than he has been in recent years with the Washington Wizards. So, but that's like we talked about the Lakers needing internal improvement from certain players and health with the Suns. I think it's similar in the sense that a lot of these guys are going to have to step up, particularly DeAndre Ayton. Aiton has to be that Swiss Army knife on defense that he was in the past. And I saw it here in LA with Frank Vogel, who we, we haven't mentioned yet. Like he knows how to maximize his personnel defensively. Uh, you know, I think he, he squeezed every last bit out of JaVale McGee and, and Dwight Howard uh, defensively. Uh, and I think you, you saw guys like Caruso, uh, KCP, you know, take those defensive steps uh, under Frank Vogel. Even a guy like Kyle Kuzma, who wasn't really known as a defender, uh, Frank Vogel helped turn him into uh, a productive one for the Lakers. So, uh, you know, the Suns don't have that caliber of defensive personnel right now, but I think if there's a coach who's a defensive mastermind who can really find a way to maximize DeAndre Ayton's skills defensively, to me, it is Frank Vogel. And uh, he's already been talking up DeAndre Ayton, I, I think, just by virtue of not being Monty Williams, he's going to have a better relationship <laughs> with him. Uh, so if, if he could come in and and figure out the best way to use DeAndre, uh, you know, defensively, I, I think you could see Phoenix overachieve on that end, at least in the regular season. And then defensively, I mean, uh, and then in the uh, you know the playoffs, we'll, we'll see, of course, uh, you know, kind of what level they're at. But um, I think Frank Vogel is really good at, at concocting different schemes to maximize his players, and uh, I suspect he's going to do the same in Phoenix. At the end of the day, the Nuggets still are the favorite in the West. And, yep. you know, they might have lose, lost Bruce Brown to Indiana, which we'll talk about later with Matt Dollinger. And they may have lost Jeff Green. But I think that Nuggets team, um, their young players that they have, Christian Brown can play a bigger role. Um, last season, uh, I, I think with this team, they proved that they can fill gaps. And the draft that they had getting – Pickett in the second round. Uh, he's somebody who I think in summer league could potentially come out right away and surprise some people doing Bruce Brown-esque things on the floor for them. Uh, and even last season, I mean, he didn't play a lot of minutes for them. But Peyton Watson out of UCLA, he goes 30th in the draft. Um, in the limited opportunities that he did have, he was very impressive. And and he's that type of player at 6'7 with length and toughness and, a, and an IQ moving without the ball. They have some options to plug into that Bruce Brown role where even though they lose this guy and Indiana gets a good player and even though Jeff Green's gone, I think Denver has more options than people might realize on the surface to fill that gap. And another year you know, of development from Michael Porter Jr., Another year removed from the ACL, ACL injury for Jamal Murray. The Nuggets could could potentially get a little bit better, not to mention Zeke Naji, who's been very good deep off the bench for them as well. Denver is still the favorite. Christian, I'll also look at Christian Brown as someone who uh, I, I know they're very high on, uh, I think could 
again, not do exactly what Bruce Brown did, but uh, amass some of that role, some of those minutes. Uh, so I, I think the, the one thing with Denver and, and it, we kind of saw it in the playoffs, like they're not the deepest team that they, they went about seven, eight deep, depending on uh, the, the series. And uh, again, you know, I think that might be a little bit of a concern now with Jeff green and, and Bruce Brown gone. But uh, I think if there's any player that can figure out how to maximize his teammates, it's, Nikola Jokic and uh, again another year of, of continuity for them another year of health as you talked about uh, Aaron Gordon just being more familiar with, with the system Jamal Murray having his second year uh, removed from his injury and recovery and uh, again Jokic just continuing to get better uh, I think you have to make them uh, the clear favorites right now in both the West and the NBA. Jovan thank you so much for joining me on Beyond the Arc. Thanks for having me man. And now we welcome in Donatus Arbonas. Donatus, how are you doing today, man? I'm good, man. It's, uh, I'm not sure if my wife is doing good, really, because it's a Sunday night in Lithuania. So usually we have a time off over there. But, you know, it's a huge pleasure, huge honor for me to, uh, to come here. I even got some help from, from my, you know, studio guys, from the head of our video, Gitas Lezhevich, to set up this nice studio for this, you know, huge opportunity to talk about some European hoops. I appreciate it, man. I mean, taking some time of your Sunday night. You're from Basket News. You guys do amazing work. I, I was watching some videos on your YouTube channel. You have great breakdowns of some of the players that have signed in the NBA. And I think it's important for fans to understand who some of these guys are that could be helping teams that could be in the playoffs next year. Let's start off with Vasilya Michich, who went to the Oklahoma City Thunder. He was drafted many years ago as a second-round pick by the Philadelphia 76ers. With Michich, I mean... I've been waiting for years for him to come over to the NBA. He's won MVPs. He's won championships. He's a big playmaker. He feels like the type of guy who's ready to come over in the NBA. Can you describe his game and how you've seen him evolve over the years for people who may not know him at all? I'm really happy to see him finally heading to the NBA because if he was about to stay there for one more season, I'm not sure what he was about to prove to everybody because, as you mentioned, he did everything. He won the EuroLeague. He won the EuroLeague back-to-back. He's a rare EuroLeague uh, back-to-back finals MVP, and he proved everything from being probably the best point guard that we have in Europe, also uh, becoming one of the best combo guards uh, and uh, you know shining as a scorer, big-time scorer in Europe as well. He's so clutch. He hit some clutch shots in the most important games of the season. I'm not sure how aware you are, but we have this final four, like NCAA format to decide the EuroLeague winner. So he, he hit some you know, shots that basically decided the title uh, here in Europe. Uh, he's very smart. He's, he, basically, he was a you know, head coach of his team on the floor. He reads the game so well. Uh, he reads the uh, disadvantages on the core, mismatches. Uh, he manages to set up his players to, you know, uh, to set up them in, the, in their best positions to shine. So, and the best thing, I would say, that one of the underrated things is that he can play defense. In Europe, it was a bit different because he was playing like 35 minutes per game in a 40-minute basketball game. He was sharing, he, was, uh, he had a huge usage percentage, so there was a lot of, you know, on his shoulders. But in the NBA, I believe that he will be able, playing less minutes, he will be able to be more of an all-around player, which he's capable of because he's tall, he has good size, he's strong. So th- that's very intriguing uh, transfer from Europe to NBA. 
I mean, 6'5", 200 pounds. Like you said, he's a, he's a big guard, and he goes to Oklahoma City, and for them, they have a ton of big guards. Shea Gildas Alexander, uh, Jalen Williams, Josh Giddy. They just drafted Kassan Wallace out of Kentucky, a rookie who's a you know a, only six two, six three, but he's long arms. He plays bigger than his listed size. So with Oklahoma City, they're bringing him over. You know, he shoots thirty nine point nine percent from three this past season, thirty eight percent the year prior, thirty nine percent the year before that. His shot has become more potent over his years and, and overseas. He has become a better playmaker, like you said. And I think he's going to Oklahoma City, and the big adjustment for him is going to have to be, as you mentioned, the high usage percentage he had. Now he's going to have to really share more than ever before. Has he shown kind of those qualities to be a kind of a, a ball-sharing player, somebody who can thrive off ball as kind of a cutter, a mover without the ball, or has he just always been kind of that ball-dominant, I can run the offense, you know, more of a kind of like an Americanized version of a player, you know, where it's ball-dominance all game long? I believe that's the main question around Vasily Misic and his NBA potential because I remember when I have – an interview with him like a couple of years ago, he didn't hide that he needs the ball in his hands to be the best version of himself. He needs the ball in his hands to create for himself and for others. So I believe that, you know, he talked with Sam Presti a lot, and I believe that they kind of talked this out, that in, in the OKC, he will get those opportunities to be the floor general on the court. I'm not sure how many minutes he's going to play, I'm not sure, sure in what role the head, head coach will put him, but I believe that he's not going to be a, an off-ball player in LKC. Of course, to some extent, there he will need to make this balance, but if they're really bringing him to the NBA, I believe that they're ready you know, to give him space to create for himself and for others, which he's really able of doing. And I think with him, it's interesting. You know, uh, he's going to have to give up the ball a little bit more. I'm sure he'll handle it plenty. On Synergy Sports, I looked up his catch and shoot, you know, spot up three point numbers 46% this past season, 35% the year before, but then 44% the year before that so a little bit streaky off the catch but he tends to be above 40 percent shooting threes off the catch more often than not and I think with him that's gonna if he's willing to embrace that role playing for the Thunder with all their other ball handlers it creates a kind of a you mentioned he said to you the best version of himself is when he has the ball in his hands the best version of himself in the NBA may be when he's one of the guys who has the ball in his hands considering all of those guys can play without the ball which brings us to somebody who just signed with the Sacramento Kings, Sasha Vazenkov, who there's no questions about his ability to play without the ball. You guys made a video earlier this season, one of your colleagues, the stat was something like he scored 200-something points on 20-something dribbles. I like that. That's Clay Thompson-esque <laughs> type of numbers. With Vazenkov, uh, he wins MVP this past season. He's a big shooting power forward. Uh, what have you seen from his game, and what do you think about his fit for the Kings and the NBA? Yeah, but by the way, sh uh, shout out to Augusto Szulauskas for making all those great breakdowns uh, about best European players who can, you know, translate their game into the NBA. Uh, and yeah, I mean, Sasha is so unique because he just became the MVP of the EuroLeague, which is huge, which is not easy. And when you think of the MVP, you're, you're thinking about the best ISO players, the best scorers, you know, the dominant guys in the post. And he's, I don't remember any other player who made such a big impact playing simply off ball he's so smart i mean and i remember i had this conversation with mike james and he said like 
stick a defender next to Sasha Vezenkov and it will be a tough night for him. But it's so easy to say and it's so hard to do because he's so smart. He manages to create space for himself playing off ball. And when you think that you're after Vezenkov, somehow, you know, you turn, uh, you turn your head uh, around and you see that he's gone. He's so <laughs> smart of making those cuts. Uh, running in the best position to shoot the ball. He's hell of a shooter, uh, shooting the ball from the corner trees. Uh, so he will, you know, he will be great playing to, next to De'Aaron Fox, who creates a lot of, you know, uh, advantages on the perimeter. So he will be waiting this uh, ball on the corner. At the same time, having a big man like Domantas Sabonis, who manages to pass the ball so well, uh, Vezenkov will be amazing with all these cuts. The best thing is that... I mean, I think that Sacramento Kings was one of those teams closest to the EuroLeague and European basketball uh, with, you know, ball motion, a lot of uh, off-ball movement. And that's the best for Sasha Vizenko because I don't want him to become like Nicola Melli uh, in the NBA mm. like he was, you know, the guy who was just... It was not his fault. It was his role just to stand in the corner and to wait for these three-point opportunities. Sasha Vizenko has to be involved in a unique way. But I believe that Sacramento's game is suits, suits well for, for, for Vizenko. To me, like, I, I think you nailed it. You know, the Kings play, you know, the Warriors too, you know, but the Kings especially probably play the closest, you know, European style in the NBA with all their motion and movement. It's absolutely constant. I believe this past season, it was either them and the Warriors, no surprise, that that led the league in, in cuts and handoffs and off-screen actions. If you combine those three statistics, kind of movement plays, they were outliers amongst everybody in the NBA. For So for Vizenkov, he's going to be able to come in right away and fit right in I think you know with him it's really not a question he we know he can shoot off the catch we know he can shoot off movement at, at above 40 percent we know he's a high IQ cutter he makes smart plays as a passer there's no questions about his offense translating with the player that he's become overseas after he was a second round pick again years ago both him and Micic uh, have been in the EuroLeague for so long and they've become players who I think now are NBA ready on offense. The question with Vizankov is going to be defensively. You have a, a team with the Kings. They were not good defensively this past season. Sabonis, uh, you know, he just signs for five years, $217 million. It's a historic contract. Uh, but, like, he's not a great defensive player. So for Sacramento, it feels like maybe they're going just all in on offense. And the defense is like, you know what? If we can, if we could survive and be competitive, and the other team has a cold shooting streak, our offense is going to be good enough that we win a heck of a lot of games again and possibly make a deep run in the playoffs. But do you think individually, has he evolved enough as a player to survive on defense in the NBA? Uh, it's a very interesting case because I think the best part about Sasha's defense is that he's not lazy. He will put all his effort to stop the guy, even if he's in a mismatch situation. He tries really hard. He works so hard with his physique, with strength and, condi strength and conditioning to be able to be on the floor with those the best scorers that we have in Europe uh, as well. Of course, it will be a huge challenge, but at least from his side, he will do everything that he can. The different space of the floor for sure will not help him because in Europe it was di uh, different and better for Sasha because the paint was packed. There were a lot of helps and that, of course, helped Sasha Vizenkov. But he's smart. Uh, when you look at the guy like Sasha Vizenkov, he doesn't look like an elite basketball player, right? 
but somehow he's one of the best rebounders in the in the Euroleague in Europe because of his IQ. Uh, IQ. For sure, not because of his uh, physical abilities, and I think that you know these kind of things, you know, will uh, the the way he's reading the game, his effort will help to you know to limit those defensive limits uh, that he has. But but yeah, of course he will be you know he will be a target defensively, and Sacramento will have to survive this with this target. Now, you've been watching Demonte Sabonis uh, a lot longer than anybody has, you know, in the NBA or even when he, going to Gonzaga. How cool do you, is it for you to see him getting this five-year, $217 million contract with the Sacramento Kings of the player that he's become? Man, I want to have all those haters who, like, <laughs> 10 years ago, or I don't even remember, <laughs> said that, oh, you went to Italy to cover Domantas Sabonis in European U18 competition just because his dad paid you probably and now <laughs> this guy is, is you know creating history so i i want all these haters there were a lot of haters to be honest i want all all of them in this room you know to to say to repeat those words uh, to me you know in my face so yeah i would say i'm happy yeah <laughs> lithuania is happy for sure lithuania is happy for sure we're so proud because domas was always you know it's so hard to be a, a son of the iconic mm-hmm. basketball player in Lithuania. I mean, that's why you get those haters, right? You know, that's why yeah, he that, gets those. That's why he's felt it his whole life. He's like, Oh, you'll never be your dad. You're, you're just here. Cause your father, that's why his dad didn't want him to attend school in Lithuania because of all this pressure. So basically yeah. he attends, he, he was spent a lot of time of his life in Spain. Uh, and it was enormous pressure and it's so hard to repeat the success of your dad and Sabonis, uh, de Sabonis even surpassed his dad's uh, success. So it's just an amazing, uh, legacy that this family is leaving to, to, to basketball in both sides of the ocean. Well, and now the Lithuanian national team, I mean, they've picked up some wins over the years with Sabonis uh, as well. So I, I think it's cool to see him, you know, progressing in, at internationally still and in the NBA as well. And let's move on to the last guy we'll talk about here. That's Dante Exum. Um, somebody NBA fans know, former lottery pick. He comes in and he just can't stay healthy, can't shoot, never really develops in the NBA. And then he goes over to Europe and this past two seasons, he seems like he's, he's wins, he wins the title. He shoots over 40% from three. Has Dante X, he, now he's signing with the Mavericks for what it's worth. Has, has Dante Exum figured something out? Uh, is he indeed better? Like, what have you seen from him this past year with the success that he had? Uh, his journey was really challenging here in Europe because he joined Barcelona in the middle of the season and he played for one of the most demanding coaches here in Europe, Sharuna Sisikavicius, who put him in a role where he had to play a lot of off-ball. The following year, he comes to play, he signs for Partizan Belgrade and he plays for European basketball GOAT, Jelko Bradovic, like Greg Popovich of the NBA. And he plays for him as a point guard, as a playmaker, as a creator, and it's a really challenging, you know, task for anybody. And now we're talking about the Australian player coming from the NBA. And he actually, he nailed it. He nailed it as a um, point guard, as a playmaker. And I believe that you mentioned this thing about uh, his shooting. I think it's it's related to the fact that playing for Sharunas Iskavichus and Jelko Bradovic also helped him to uh, improve the shot selection. 
it's not like Dante was forcing his shots. Uh, he was picking those good shots. In Europe, it's very smart because if you're taking a lot of, let's say, if you're taking consecutive bad shots, for sure you're on the bench, and especially if you're playing for Sharas or Angelko. So he nailed it. Uh, he played smart. He stayed healthy. And in both teams, uh, those both teams did a good job. Partizan almost uh, had a Cinderella story in Europe. They were so close of making it to the Final Four in the EuroLeague, and they won the Adriatic League title. And, of course, Dante's... Uh, I, I remember that everybody was saying that Partizan they doesn't have a real point guard. And, of course, this kind of, you know, these doubts were surrounded Dante Exum and his ability to lead it, the team. And he managed uh, at the at the second part of the season. I don't remember, you know, the, nobody talking about the lack of point guarding in in, in Partizan. So, kudos to Dante. He, he had a really big challenge, and he, you know, he 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 can be proud of what he has done in Europe. I think there's a chance, you know, with Exum. I loved him years ago in the 2014 draft. I loved him. He was the fifth pick. Um, I was super high on him. I believe it. I forget it at the top of my head. I think I had him ranked fourth on my board or maybe third. I loved Exum. 6'5", long arms, tough defender. Something something changed overseas with him. Like, I, I, he needs to stay healthy. But as you said, the the improvement as a, as a jump shooter – Shooting over 40% these past two seasons, low volume, but that's what you're going to have to do playing with Luca uh, and that Mavericks roster. But if he works out and if he's shooting well off the catch and if he's providing that complementary playmaking, not as a primary guy necessarily, th- this might be kind of the, the perfect fit in theory for what Luca needs in that backcourt next to him. Uh, do you do you kind of see it the same way with the type of player Luca is with what Exum showed he can be um, playing this past season? Yeah, I mean I agree with all your words, and I I think that I love the part the one of the parts that I love about Dante is that he's so dedicated of becoming successful in the NBA because when he came to Europe he joined one of the best teams already in Europe Barcelona. Then he went to Partizan, and he had some really good offers to stay in Europe. He was one of the best point guards uh, in Europe, one of the hottest names in the market. And he could really get way more money than the NBA right now, (laughs) or when he does right now in in Dallas with this one-year minimum deal, right? So, uh, and I remember that the best part was that he was always prioritizing the NBA. He wanted to go there so badly. So it, it shows that there's still a lot of to prove that he has still uh, a lot of things to prove he's he knows that he can be able to contribute in the nba and he's coming there for let's say second time being at his peak what i love about all these guys like vasily mincic sasha vizenkov dante exam they're at their peak uh both physically both mentally which is very important uh they're all experience. They got a lot of different type of experiences, and they're ready for this uh, challenge. So I think that Luca should love this fit with uh, Dante Exum. They will share this European experience as well. So it it should be it should work. I mean, Dante is in a good spot, probably. I'm excited to watch them all, Donatus. Thank you so much for joining me today on Beyond the Arc. Thank you so much. I hope you guys won't steal uh, more guys from Europe because it's <laughs> it's getting exhausting, really. NBA expansion coming later this decade. <laughs> Thank you, man. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. 
I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Now joining me on Beyond the Arc is the Ringer's senior editor, my editor from the NBA side, Matt Dollinger. How you doing today, Matt? I'm good. Just, you know, enjoying the off season. A little action here, a little quiet. It's nice. Hey, you are a big Indiana Pacers fan living in Denver. So this past year, you saw Bruce Brown win a championship with the Nuggets, have a career year, and then earn a two-year $45 million contract with your Indiana Pacers is a second year team option on that. So it's really a one year big deal. And then the Pacers have some flexibility. I love the signing for the Pacers. To me, it's one of the signings of the offseason. We just saw him thrive with Jokic and now he's with Halliburton. You must be fired up for him to kind of insert himself into this Pacers team. Definitely. And I think uh, if there was one team that was going to overpay for him, it would be the Pacers. You know, they had to spend a certain amount this offseason just to get to the salary floor. Uh, Bruce Brown is the kind of guy that pretty much works on any team. But uh, to get him on a one year deal with a team option, uh, a a real kind of team friendly deal, it's an ideal situation. And he's the kind of secondary playmaker that might be, you know, a great fit next to Halliburton. Obviously, Tyrese has got the keys to the offense, but. Bruce is going to be able to grow in Indiana, I think, and get as good of a situation to show off his full game as anywhere. It feels like kind of that opportunity for him to do that because of the way, I mean, Halliburton, like you said, he's got the keys to the offense. He runs the show. He runs nearly as many pick and rolls as any other player in the NBA. I believe it's 39 per game, you know, not quite over 40, like the Luca and Trace of the world, but he's right there with Bruce Brown. You know, it's, he made a comment during the playoffs with Denver where he said, you know, they let me be a point guard here. And I, I think he's not quite fully the point guard in Denver, but he's much more of the point guard. He was much more of the point guard in Denver than he was in Brooklyn, where he was a small ball center. You know, Kyrie, Harden, Katie, those guys were do- dominating the ball and they have this six foot four guy, you know, setting screens and rolling to the basket. There were elements of that with Denver with the cutting off ball and setting screens and all that type of motion stuff the Nuggets do. But with Indiana, I wonder if we're going to see the ball in his hands more often like we did when he was a younger, lesser developed player in Detroit, like we did when he was in college at Miami. Because with the Pacers, this speaks to how special Halliburton is. You know, Halliburton is one of the heaviest, you know, pick and roll ball handlers in the league. He dominates but he's also a great shooter off the catch. He himself is an awesome mover without the ball. He cuts to the rim. He gets, he relocates behind the arc. I I wonder 
this is an opportunity for Bruce Brown to kind of show all the things he did well in Denver, all the things he did well in Brooklyn, but also say, hey, like I, I am six foot four and I am a point guard. I've been a point guard my whole life. Here's how I can operate in a backcourt with Tyrese Halliburton and Benedict Matherin and all the other talent they have kind of at the guard slash wing position. And I think you nailed it with with Matherin too. He's a great fit next to him as well. I think it's three guys who could all have the ball in their hands, but sometimes they're actually better without it to a degree or playing with playmakers who are just as good. And kind of having a balanced attack for Indiana is probably uh, what they're envisioning anyways. You know, as great as Jokic is, Halliburton is, you know, not that far behind as a playmaker, but it doesn't make sense for him to be completely as ball dominant, I think. So getting a guy like Brown in the lineup should be perfect. It's going to be interesting. You know, you see the Pacers this offseason. They also acquire Obi Toppin from the Knicks for two future second round draft picks. With them, like Bruce Brown, he's a proven player. He just won a championship. Obi Toppin is an unproven player. He's had inconsistent minutes for the Knicks for years. But in, in, in a sense, both of these guys still have something to prove. And you're bringing them to a situation where Brown, we're talking about him getting more on ball opportunities, topping. Hopefully he gets consistent minutes. He's improved as a shooter. We'll see how he progresses. But with Tyrese Halliburton, though, he's, you know, the head of the snake here. They signed him to a five-year, $260 million extension. And the reaction that I kind of saw online over the weekend was, this is a worthy bet from some people others saying Halliburton still has a lot to prove this past season he averaged 20.7 points 10.4 rebounds per game and for Indiana he makes his first all-star team he's shoots 40 percent from three he's a good tough rock solid defender to me I feel like at 22 years old he'll be 23 next season I I think he's like the he's just not even close to his ceiling I, that's the way I, I'm looking at it with him. Like, do you feel similarly? I think they're paying for who they want him to become, not who he's already been. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I you know you see Demontis Sabonis flourish in Sacramento, and I think all Pacer fans are happy for him. But to luck into a point guard, a franchise player like Tyrese Halliburton, it just doesn't happen for a small market team like Indiana. You know, like especially uh, you know as an Indiana fan coming off the Andrew Luck tenure where you, you, know, you kind of get another guy who's going to be this franchise player who holds it down for the city to lose out on him, to get Tyrese Halliburton now with the Pacers. It's, it's incredible. And I think you know because of his experience in Sacramento, he's embraced playing in Indiana too, which is another thing that should not be taken for granted. Uh, and you look at the, the Knicks trade with Obi, Obi Toppin. I mean, he's a guy who played in Dayton, went to New York, found out it wasn't all that cracked up to be now is probably thrilled to play in Indy. And Halliburton's never really had that great of a lob uh, target as well. And, you know, Toppin might be that guy. Uh, seems like a better fit next to Miles Turner as well. Just everything seems to be clicking for Indiana, KOC. It's, it seems too good to be true. <laughs> I mean, it does It does seem like it with the Pacers. And and I, I think, you know, not to, not to compare the Pacers to the team that just won the championship, but – Something that's been on my mind with some of Indiana's acquisitions, like, you know, drafting Walker in the lottery, acquiring Toppin, Bruce Brown. One of the thoughts on my mind with Halliburton is like we see him average almost 21 points per game last season on 15 shots per game. One of the things in the past with Jokic, you know, before he was becoming this dominant scorer was 
he'd have games where he shot three times or four times or five times. And with Halliburton, you know, if you look at his numbers in the pick and roll this past season, he shot 9.9 times per game in the 38.9 pick and rolls that he ran per game. That's a low percentage of, you know, deciding to shoot the ball out of the pick and roll compared to a Luca compared to some of these other guys where it's closer to 50% with Halliburton. I wonder if there will be a moment for him like there was for Jokic where he's like, oh, actually being selfless for my team is scoring more often and being a guy who averages 25 or closer to 30 points per game. I just feel like with the way they're building this team out, you know, so many of these guys are, you know, guys who can thrive with the ball or without the ball. But a walker, a top in. I, I don't know. I feel like it's building towards a point that at some point Halliburton's going to have to be like, okay, I'll score 25 points per game. That's what I have to do. Do you think he has that in him? And do you think the Pacers are kind of envisioning that part of his development in the years to come? I, you're dead on. I mean, he's all, I think he's already going through that. And he had games last season, like you said, where he shot eight times and you get to the end of the game and you're like, why? And he he called himself out a few times and said, I just can't, I just can't have games like that. Like we can't win like that. And uh, if the Pacers have a ton of options, that's great. None of them are going to be as good as Tyrese Halliburton, probably though, ultimately. I mean, the way he shoots from behind the arc, the way the, you know, the respect he demands when he's on the off the dribble, he's an elite player. So averaging 25 points per game, isn't that, you know, isn't that out there, but I do think he needs to develop that killer instinct slightly. And that comes with over time. And that probably comes with messing up a certain amount of times too. And Jokic had the same thing where there'd be games where he had 10 points and they'd be like, well, we just can't win like that on some nights. And Halliburton's going to be the same way where the assists are great, but they're going to need him to be a threat every night to score. In the uh, Ringers' top 125 NBA player rankings, currently Tyrese Halliburton is 32nd. And I, I forget, you know, what week it was. Maybe it was middle of January was the last week I voted on on the, that ballot to have the rankings. I believe I had Halliburton top 20 mm. at the time. And that might be a little bit of a hottish take, but I don't know, man. I, I, think, I think Halliburton is really underrated uh league wide on our rankings and i think this coming season could be the one where he's he shows everybody who can he who he can actually be as a player and that's a dominant three level scorer and a dominant playmaker he is he is so much better than i i think anybody could have expected him to be otherwise he wouldn't have slipped uh as far as he did into the late lottery and on draft night you, you guys really did luck out getting Halliburton. Sabonis is awesome but i think Halliburton's the better player well there's two former pacers ahead of him in that ranking uh sabonis and paul george but i i think Halliburton has the ceiling to be i mean i've got him behind me the best pacer since reggie miller i think uh mm. Everyone can kind of feel that it's he's got that kind of commitment to staying with Indiana. He's got that ceiling. He might even be a better shooter than Reggie Miller, which is, you know, sounds like blasphemy, but <laughs> it's true. So, uh, yeah, it's it's pretty good to be a Tyrese Halliburton fan. Uh, I just pulled up my rankings just to just to plant my flag here. Here we go. In February, I had Halliburton 11th. Wow. Wow. That might be that might be over the top. I'd probably have him closer to the late teens at this point, but um, I think that dude's really good, and I'm I glad mean, the Pacers are accelerating around him. He's got the uh, the platform now, kind of to be uh, have a most improved type of season. I mean, mm-hmm. everything's there for him, and 
there's got to be a team in the East that takes a jump this year. It could, it could be Indiana. I think you're right on that. Um, most improved player of the year for Hal Everton should be a possibility. And right now on the FanDuel Sportsbook, he's not favored for this award. Let me just make that clear. He is plus 9,500 for most improved player of the year behind guys like Andrew Nemhard, Trey Murphy, Jonathan Kaminga, Denny Avdia, Jalen Duran, Keldon Johnson. I mean, come on. The Tyrese Halliburton is an amazing value opportunity right now in the FanDuel Sportsbook. I think if the Pacers win 50 games, they'll probably be in the conversation. I mean, how are they going to win 50 games? It's going to be by Tyrese Halliburton taking a massive leap. So if they win 42 games for that right. matter, you know, right? if, he, if he, if he's, uh, if he's averaging 25 and 12, he's in the discussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely. Matt, appreciate you coming on then. Thank you so much for joining me on beyond the arc. Hey, thanks for having me. Sweet. That was cool. I'm glad I checked plus 9,500. What? <laughs> Oh my god! I don't think he's a favorite, but that's that's like he's not in the discussion. I mean, Jesus! I was scrolling down, like, wait, is he even listed? <laughs> who's, uh, wait, without looking, let's see who's who's favored to take the biggest jump right now. I don't even know. Uh, is it Jalen Green? Let, let me pull it back up. Uh, oh, I, should, I should have asked you that on the show. That would have been good content. Look at you Jaylen editing Jaylen. on the fly. <laughs> <laughs> The big oh, most improved right now: Mikel Bridges, Cade Cunningham, Jordan Poole, Tyrese Maxey, Evan Mobley, Scotty Barnes, Josh Giddy, Alperen Shengun at plus nineteen hundred. I mean, I get it, but like Halliburton should be up there with those names, in my opinion. But it's this not, speaks to how underrated the Pacers are. It's not going to go to a losing player, and it's also not going to go to a guy who's the fourth best player on a team. No, it's not. I'll tell you who the Pacers comp is, and I maybe should have said it on the show. I'm sorry, but it's the Grizzlies, I think. I think they're collecting talent like the Grizzlies. Mm, that's interesting. Okay. <laughs> this okay. could be an out this could be this could be on the Spotify version, the uh, after after show party. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But no, I mean that's I mean I get it with, with Yeah. I get it with some of those names, but I mean, like Emmanuel quickly at plus thirty five hundred versus Halliburton at plus ninety five hundred. Just look at the guys who win the award every year. It never goes to an Emmanuel. Uh, I wish I said this. Obi Toppin is also plus ninety five hundred. There's no oh, way they should be equal odds. What How would that, that, what he have to do? He has to be a twenty and ten guy to win the award. Oh. There's just no chance to have equal odds with Halliburton that, that this, this really is like why I wanted to talk about the Pacers today though, because like, I, I just think that team's underrated. Well, they're, they're underrated they and they win 35 games. A stacked summer league team will change the narrative. That's, that's coming mm-hmm. with Halliburton kind of clapping courtside and because yeah. big new contract laughing his way to the bank. You get it. You get it. <laughs> Well, Matt, thank you for joining, man. I appreciate it. All right. No problem. Thanks for having me. And uh, I'll talk to you guys soon. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there. The weather was phenomenal. And most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday. I'm still sleeping. I also like Ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. 
Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side by side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.